Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. When you're eating protein, like a piece of tofu or a piece of beef or whatever kind of protein you eat, that's full of amino acids, right? That's where we get most of our amino acids from our food is from proteins. If you can't digest proteins, your gut's not working well, that's going to undermine things. And then you can also have a utilization issue where you're burning through or using up your amino acids at some extreme rate. Let's say you're really, really stressed and you're making a lot of adrenaline also known as a catecholamine, you're like in a stress state, then you could burn through your tyrosine really fast and end up with a tyrosine deficiency because you're stressed out of your mind and you just used it up. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I'm talking with the Dr. Dan Kalish from the Kalish Institute, all about amino acids, muscle building, mitochondria, and recovery. I've been learning from Dr. Kalish for, I don't even know, well over a decade now. And this podcast does not disappoint. Did you know that the proteins in your body like insulin, thyroid hormone, or cytokines come from amino acids? And if you're deficient in any amino acids, you'll have problems with those proteins? I know, keep listening to learn all about it. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, Testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you are an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, track, and manage results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness. No need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Dan Kalish, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. I am really excited to have you on today. Thank you. Very much glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I've been learning from you for a number of years now, a great many years. So to actually get to interview you on the podcast is exciting for me because I get to pick your brain about amino acids, which I have off and on been learning about amino acids and all of its greatness or even individualness through the years. And so now I get you for a whole hour so that I can (laughs) talk to you about things like longevity and mitochondria and cellular repair and all these things that are hot topics and people want to know about, but you'll be able to be the expert on it. It's complicated, more than you would think. That's the truth. That's the truth. I think what you learn little bits of it everywhere, right? Like you're just saying, kind of we learn about individual amino acids, you kind of learn about the free form amino acids, but it's hard to put it all together. Yeah. Well, actually, let's start there. I think that's a great place because I think when people think amino acids, they think of their pre-workout, right? They think of like they don't know what an amino acid is, but they know in some of their powders there are some amino acids in there and they don't realize the the depth and breadth of amino acids. So let's start with the basics. What is an amino acid and what are they? Yeah, so there are a lot of different things, but for our purposes, they're the building blocks of the proteins in your body, one of which is muscle, which is pretty important. But there's other things that are more important in the short term. I don't know, like hemoglobin is a protein that you have to make. That's pretty important, right? You wouldn't be able to live very long without hemoglobin. Do anything. (laughs) For people that don't know, hemoglobin is what carries oxygen around in your body, right? So you wouldn't live very long without hemoglobin. Thyroid hormones are proteins. Insulin is a protein. 
Okay, but the most shocking thing about muscle, insulin, and hemoglobin is that they're all made from the same 20 amino acids in almost the exact same ratios. That's going to blow a lot of people's minds. You got to think about that for a minute. So every protein in the body, the only exception really is collagen. Collagen is like three amino acids. So if you forget about collagen, every other protein is made from the same 20 amino acids. Okay, that's a little strange. But then what's really strange is in almost the exact same ratios. So the same amount of tryptophan makes your muscle tissue as makes your insulin molecules as makes your hemoglobin. Which means if you're deficient for any reason, you're going to have issues with your muscle, your insulin, and your hemoglobin. Exactly. One amino acid out of the 20 being low undermines the whole thing. And we have essential amino acids and non-essential amino acids. Talk about that. Yeah, that kind of pisses me off because it, you, the term, it's like when they say pilot, co-pilot. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting on a plane and you're looking in the cockpit because you're like wondering, oh, who's going to fly me to New York? And they have a pilot and then on the other side, they have a co-pilot. And you clearly think that the pilot's more important. The reality is. Right. And that the co-pilot's there just in case something happens to the, the co-pilot's really just there as a backup. So when you say essential amino acids, it kind of like makes it like they're the ones that matter. They're just the ones that you have to get from food. In fact, in some ways you could argue they matter less because guess what? The other ones you have to make. And guess what that requires? Genes to convert one amino acid to the other. Like you make serine from glycine. So guess what? That can get screwed up if you have a SNP. So the essentials are perhaps not the most important. I can see that, which we all probably got taught that in high school, science classes. These you have to get from food and these your body makes. But really in reality, if you can't make it in your body, just like pilot and co-pilot, if you can't make it in your body and you don't eat the foods, either way you're screwed. <laughs> either way, you're going to have yeah. a lot of protein issues building protein. Yeah, and it doesn't matter which of the 20 you're deficient in. They're all like equally important. There is no amino acid that's more important. And certainly the essentials, I've never had a patient, I've never seen a patient, never heard of a patient that was protein malnourished. That just doesn't happen in our culture, at least. You know, maybe it happens in some parts of the world, but that just really is, is pretty unusual. So it's not a supply problem ever. It's a utilization problem or a conversion problem or something like that. That, that would limit one of these 20. And again, if you're down on any one of the 20, then it undermines muscle tissue and every other protein in the body. So I want to get into the like deep meaty stuff, but I also want people to understand some of the basics around amino acids. For example, like can you test amino acids? Should you supplement with all of them at once or is there one, that can you individualize them? Sometimes people will read online about Glycine is a great one. Glycine helps you sleep. Magnesium glycinate. And then they're like, I'm going to go take that one amino acid, not realizing it's an amino acid. It, does that throw everything off kilter? So some of these really basic questions, I think, are a great starting yeah. place. For, I know. <laughs> for us. I mean, I would say number one is there are tests for amino acids. Okay. And you really should do the test so you can tell what you're low in. Because that's going to be like your fingerprint or your signature status. That's going to vary from person to person. I mean, I've done thousands of these tests. They're never the same. And you can't just look at someone and say, oh, it looks like you're low in lysine. So I think I'm going to give you lysine. And you can't tell because one amino acid being low affects all proteins. There's no like symptom that tells you which one's low because it's universally, you have a universal problem if you're low in one of them. So you can't really figure it out from symptoms. So yeah, you do the test. You do a plasma amino acid test and it lays them all out. 
And then that takes all the mystery out of it. And then, of course, you supplement the ones that you're deficient in to catch yourself up for anything that's wrong, basically. I and mean, that's like the testing answer. And then can you take them individually without a lab? I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I would never take one myself. I wouldn't have anyone in my family do it. I don't know. My neighbor, the guy with the really loud barking dogs, maybe I give him something. You know, I was like, sure, Ron, you can take glycine every night. Sure, Ron, maybe that'll knock him out. Yeah, I was just kidding. But yeah, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't take amino acids unless you have a pretty clear understanding of why. And then, of course, the test shows you're low. You take them and then you retest. And then when your nor- levels are normal, then you fixed whatever the problem was. So is a way not only to measure what you need, but when you don't need it anymore, when you've you know met the deficiency state, basically it's corrected. So going back to the deficiency, you had mentioned that you don't feel that it's getting enough protein, like getting enough protein in our diet problem, that it's more of either conversion issue or, or some other issue. What type of issues do you see in your practice most commonly? Yeah, most common ones probably is that people are eating the protein, but they're not absorbing it well because their digestion is not working well. So you have H. pylori in your stomach and you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you'll break down your proteins into amino acids. Oh, by the way, just obviously explain, when you're eating protein, like a piece of tofu or a piece of beef or whatever kind of protein you eat, that's full of amino acids, right? That's where we get most of our amino acids from our food is from proteins. If you can't digest proteins, your gut's not working well, that's going to undermine things. And then you can also have a utilization issue where you're burning through or using up your amino acids at some extreme rate. Let's say you're really, really stressed and you're making a lot of adrenaline, also known as a catecholamine, you're like in a stress state, then you could burn through your tyrosine really fast and end up with a tyrosine deficiency because you're stressed out of your mind and you just used it up. And I think a lot of people, one, can relate to that. But two, even just the absorption part is a huge deal. I recently read a patient account. It wasn't my patient. It was another patient that I read on social media. And all they started doing was chewing their food. They said, you know, I sort of inhale. I just sort of act like a, used to act like a snake, just unhinge, swallow, go on my day. Couldn't figure out why I was having all these issues, symptoms, everything from GI issues all the way out to skin, hormone, et cetera. And they started chewing their food really consistently, being very mindful. And so many of their symptoms improved just by chewing their food. And I think that's really important because amino acids, as you said in the beginning, are the building blocks. They're these teeny tiny little things. And by chewing your food at the very least, it's going to help break them down to be better absorbed. And as culture, when you say stress, a lot of times with our stress comes this inhaled eating and the cycle just goes round and round. And now we have all sorts of muscle issues or we have aging issues or we have, we can't repair issues, et cetera, et cetera, hormone issues. And if we go back to the basics, as you said, if we absorbed our food, digested our food, it would be so much better. And I think the average American is something like four to six chews per bite. Also, if you're eating really poor quality food, you don't really want to chew a Big Mac a whole bunch of times. It's (laughs) it's not that good really, right? Whereas if you're, I don't know, eating an organic apple or something, it's a little more pleasurable to chew it. The other thing that accompanies what you just said is the chewing and then the Eating when you're not on a device and you're not doing your email and you're not driving your car because the stomach acid secretions and the pancreatic enzyme excretions and all the things that help you, the lipases and amylases and all these things that your body makes to break down the protein, they you have to be in a relatively relaxed state to have that happen. I was in Paris a long time ago at a flea market. It was actually for work, which is a whole nother long story. And it's like 1.30 in the afternoon. And I'm like, well, what's going on? This whole place is shutting down. And it was busy. There's like a lot of customers, but all the French that are obviously running these booths, 
get out their little chair, they get out their little table, they get a, a glass of wine and a really beautiful looking lunch. And everybody stopped and just ate lunch. And not for like 10 minutes, like for an hour, hour and a half. Slow eating. And then they all just got back to work after that. And that, that was just blew my mind. That would never happen here, right? It would never be socially acceptable to just stop in the middle of your work day and take an hour to eat. So that, yeah, you can't rush through it. That is a problem. That would probably fix half the digestive problems out there if people just chewed their food and ate in a more relaxed setting. Easier said than done, but I absolutely agree with you. I think so. And not even just amino acids, but everything, all the vitamins and nutrients and things, fats that we get from our meal, I think would be better if we just stopped and chewed our food and improved our the beginning of our digestion. Yeah, so true. Absolutely. Well, I want to get into some of the deeper stuff now that we've sort of knocked out what amino acids. So you and I, before this, we were talking a lot about or going back and forth on for the subject of this podcast to focus more on cellular repair, mitochondria, longevity, mTOR, some of these things, these concepts, these words that are coming up, gaining a lot of traction lately in medicine, science, research, and even along social media. And given as long as you've been in this business and the expertise that you have, I sort of want to tackle some of these topics and what you're seeing and then how we address it for people who are struggling. Yeah, so there's a couple of big picture things that you can do on your own without the lab testing. One, in regards to mitochondria, is you can force your body to break down the old, kind of poor quality, somewhat beat up and raggedy mitochondria. I have a rule, personal rule, and I probably shouldn't share this, a little personal, but if I have a sock with a hole in it, I just toss it out. My mom's generation, they probably would have fixed it, but it's just in the garbage and I just don't wear socks with holes in them. So your body needs to do that. Your body needs to find the mitochondria that are just kind of broken with a little hole in them. And then it has to break them down and recycle them. And that's the whole science behind that, that people spend their whole careers looking at. But one of the things that happens if you break down an old beat up mitochondria is you free up all the amino acids and all the proteins that are in there, right? And then your body gets to recycle and reuse them. And so the classic way to stimulate that process is to go for more than 12 hours without eating. I guess we call it intermittent fasting now. When I was a kid, we used to call it skipping breakfast, but it's basically, <laughs> it's basically the same thing. When I lived in Thailand, the monks in Thailand, which is true for many of the Buddhist monks, but I lived in a monastery in Thailand for two and a half years, they eat in the morning only, right? So they eat one meal like around sunrise, and then that's it. Yeah, so one meal every 24 hours. And I don't know, we just got used to that. I didn't think it was like particularly healthy. I didn't realize that there's actually a health reason for that. So if you intermittently fast, and you don't eat for a while, your body goes out and scavenges and breaks up all these old beat up mitochondria and recycles them. So that's one thing. And then you can also force your body to make new mitochondria, to build them using amino acids. And you can do these things at the same time, right? You can do intermittent fasting plus using free-form amino acids. There's a test for this. It's organic acids. And a lot of the different lab companies run these organic acids tests under different names. There's probably five or six different kinds of tests out there that look at these same things. But they're basically mitochondrial markers. And there's a pattern that you can see in those test markers if you know how to read them well. And that shows if the person's got a problem with what we call a hypometabolic state, meaning there's not enough mitochondria physically present in the body. And then you want to stimulate the growth of new mitochondria. And you can do that with amino acid powders. It's not a single amino acid, but all the aminos together in a powder taken on an empty stomach 
if you get the dosing right based on the labs, that will stimulate what they call mitochondrial biogenesis. It'll get the mitochondria to start to grow. So you can break down the old, not so great ones, and then you can build up new ones with the combination of fasting and amino acid treatments. And for those who forgot their high school science class, mitochondria are your cellular powerhouses. They are where you make, you get all your electricity, so to speak, your energy, your ATP. is one job that they play. They play a lot, a role in a lot of things, such as hormone production, but hypometabolic with uh, dysfunctional mitochondria is a huge issue right now, especially in the last couple of years, given COVID and the pandemic. One of the most common ways, or an easy way for mitochondria to get damaged is from a viral infection, especially one that's respiratory that relates to a lack of oxygen or something like COVID, where you have this you know, chronic inflammatory thing that happens in the blood vessels and this little spike protein, that spike protein breaks off and damages this ACE2 receptor, and that throws your whole blood vessel regulation inflammation system into complete disarray. It's like throwing a match into like a gasoline truck that's driving around. It's just the whole thing. Your whole vasculature starts to get inflamed. Not just your lungs, right? This affects people all over their bodies. Once that gets going, then your mitochondria are on the front line of the response. So I would say anyone who's had COVID has had a stress to their mitochondria. Maybe they got through it and they're okay now, but if they're still tired or they're having headaches or any kind of neurological symptoms or joint pain or something that happened ever since I had COVID, it could be mitochondrial related and that the mitochondria haven't recovered yet. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on the organic acid test, and this applies a lot more to the practitioners listening, but can you give us just a sneak peek of some of the markers you look at on those organic acid tests to, to help you differentiate mitochondrial versus not? Yeah. So there's a section, depending on what the lab company is, they may call it something slightly different, but it usually includes glycolysis, beta oxidation, and the citric acid cycle. So it's a fancy way of saying carbohydrate burning, fat burning, and ATP production. And if five, six, eight of those markers are skewed low, then it can indicate that there's not enough mitochondria present to even make the lab markers show. And it's kind of deceptive because a lot of lab companies will have the test set up such that only a high marker shows that there's a problem because the origin of organic acid testing is looking for high levels of a given organic acid. But if you see a pattern of lows that means that it's not that the mitochondria aren't working. That would be a high level. It's that there's not enough of them to even make the test register. And so it's sort of a deceptive but pretty serious problem. And if that's present, then you're, basically your metabolism is shot. You're not going to burn fat. You're going to be tired. You're going to put on body fat. Your thyroid's not going to work well. I mean, all these kinds of things are going to happen. People get kind of sluggish and tired and overweight. Which is probably also its own epidemic happening right now right? With people, I mean, that's definitely a chief complaint for a lot of people listening. Yeah. I mean, and it, well, besides COVID, which most of us have had at least once, there's also environmental toxin exposure and the mitochondria are really sensitive to chemicals in the environment. And so pre-COVID, there was a pretty big crisis with mitochondrial damage from environmental toxins and just from people having poor lifestyle and being overweight which obviously stresses your metabolism. And then you just mix COVID into that. It's just incomprehensible how much damage there is for some people. And it's, you can't just wake up and go to the gym and drink a protein shake and get over it. For some people, it's pretty 
significant damage that you need to get in and fix. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into some of the ideas behind quote unquote fixing it. But I want to talk about other aspects of that, like cellular repair and and exercise or building muscle, building muscle tissue and mTOR. So it all sort of relates to that metabolic health or not that you've got going on. Yeah. So I mean, this is kind of profound and I haven't seen this written about in a whole lot of places. You got to kind of dig around for this one. But if you see this hypometabolic pattern or this low mitochondrial pattern, then you can stimulate the growth of mitochondria by stimulating something called mTOR. And mTOR stands for the mammalian target of rapamycin. However, some people consider it to be the mechanistic target of rapamycin. People can't exactly agree. Anyways, mTOR, rapamycin is something that was discovered, and you couldn't even make this up, on Easter Island, (laughs) right? And these scientists were on Easter Island. They found this new drug. Anyways, that... If you stimulate mTOR, you're stimulating growth. And there's a big emphasis now in the longevity community to actually inhibit mTOR as a way to prevent cancer and some other chronic diseases. So what it looks like is that mTOR can be inhibited for certain benefits and stimulated for certain benefits. And there's some doctors now that are even doing both and alternating, almost like you would do a hard exercise day and then an easy exercise day, kind of varying it so that you're getting both effects. But what we're talking about now is actually if you want things to grow and build out, you want to stimulate mTOR and free-form amino acids do that incredibly effectively. There's a lot of research on that. So it's a pretty simple thing to do. You wouldn't want to do it if you have a history of cancer because you don't want to stimulate cell growth if you have cancer. You stay away from this if you have a history of cancer. But outside of that, if your mitochondrial markers show it on the test, you can use the free-form amino acids to do that. And then as part of this mitochondrial thing, the muscle cells themselves and the muscle tissues are really dense with mitochondria. I think there's like 10,000 mitochondria in every muscle cell or something like that. So if you're exercising and doing the amino acids, then it obviously makes muscle building a lot easier because you're building the mitochondria with the nutrients, you're building them with the exercise. And so that turns out to be like the most important determinant of how long we live is our muscle mass. I believe it. I believe it. In fact, I was just having a conversation with somebody about sarcopenia, which of course is muscle wasting. And we see that a lot in our, like our grandparents, even our parents, as they get older, of course, that they used to be strong and solid perhaps when you were younger. And all of a sudden they've stopped exercising stop taking care of their muscle. And they don't realize they're doing that, but you can see it before your own eyes. And they seem to shrink away, which is not a good thing. And we can also see it with chronic disease and cancer, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? You can see the weakness in a person's body. Yeah, and it it turns out that of all the things, and I've had my whole career is based around nutrition. I'm not against the idea of nutrition, but muscle mass, the maintenance of your muscle mass is so much more important than any nutrient you could ever take, that it's really not even worth entertaining a conversation about, am I low in vitamin E or something, (laughs) if you're not exercising, because you're just on the wrong track. There's so much research on this now, and it's kind of surprising, it's not intuitively obvious that the maintenance of muscle mass is what the medical doctors, researchers call it all-cause mortality. So all-cause mortality means you could die from anything, Right? And so when they do research on the leading indicators that determine your all-cause mortality, so dying of anything at any age, the number one 
variable that comes up the most consistently by far, it's not even close to the others, is how much muscle mass you have on your body. And as you get older, as you just mentioned, obviously that gets more and more important to the point where it can be the reason why you, you end up dying. But not you don't die from the lack of muscle mass. It's all these other causes, like whether it's diabetes or uh, you have a stroke or a heart attack, you get cancer, you're not dying from the muscle mass being gone, but it's the indicator that's going to determine when you're likely to die. And it's crazy because I think a lot of people feel that they have a lot of muscle mass when in fact they just have a lot of mass, which is very different, right? You're the muscle, the slab of muscle on your body is very different than the adipose that you have in, or your bones or the other stuff that you got on your body. It's how much your muscles you have. Yeah, we're talking about strength. And, and so you can be like skinny fat where you're thin, but you have a lot of body fat and not much muscle. Or you can be big and not have a lot of muscle. And there's pretty easy ways to determine that. They have these general strength tests that you should be able to perform based on your body weight. And if you can't perform them, then you don't have enough muscle mass. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You should be able to deadlift your body weight. You should be able to carry out, they call it a farmer's carry, where you put a weight in each hand and walk around for two minutes. You should be able to do a farmer's carry with half your body weight for two minutes. You should be able to do like a squat, wall squat for like a minute. So there's certain just basic strength requirements that we should be able to meet regardless of how old we are. Most people can't get anywhere close to that. You know, we should be able to do a dead hang for at least a minute, hanging off a bar, maybe a little longer, maybe two minutes, which the first time you try it is surprisingly hard. I mean, that's grip strength, obviously. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. The first time my upper body is so weak compared to my lower body and I not even, no. Even just hanging off the monkey bars. My husband and I were walking the dog past the playground and I was like, oh, the monkey bars. No, I, nope. <laughs> I was not successful. Isn't that funny? I remember when you were a kid. And I used to do this all the time as a kid. Yeah. A minute on the monkey bars when you were a kid, that was nothing. Nothing. That's a good example of how we lose muscle mass, isn't it? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And it's not that we're that much bigger. I mean, obviously you're bigger than when you were eight or something, but it's the lack of muscle mass that just, if you don't focus on it, it won't happen. So obviously that all comes down to exercise and, and resistance training and strength training. No other way around that. Absolutely. And I want to come back. You keep mentioning the word, you call it free form amino acids. And I know people are going to ask, what does that mean? How is that different from the powder that I have in my pantry? Is it the same thing? Oh yeah. So it's not a protein powder. And there's nothing bad about protein powders, but it's just a different conversation. So there's like soy-based protein powders or whey-based protein powders or legume-based protein powders. So a free-form amino acids, they look like a white crystalline powder, and it's just amino acids mixed together in different combinations. They're almost always sold as a powder, just because you have to take so much of them, it's not realistic to put it into a capsule and swallow it down. And then they're flavored, unfortunately, because they would taste horrible. No one would drink them. So each company has a different strategy for how they're going to flavor it to make it palatable so you can actually drink it. Do you have a preferred flavor strategy when people are looking? Obviously, no majorly added sugars. or Yeah, all the companies that I work with, they don't do any bad sugars, so to speak. They try to use something like stevia, but then there's always something else in it, like berry flavor, lemon flavor, orange. <laughs> it's so unpredictable. Like The ones that I like, some people don't. There's one of the most common ones. I just smell that stuff. I feel like throwing up. It just smells horrible. <laughs> you know, so it's this total personal preference about what's going to work. So there's like two or three brands that I rotate between and just try to figure out one that people can handle the smell of. And then beyond that, the good quality professional brands, they're using all the same exact amino acids. So there's no difference in the quality of the product. It's really just how you're going to make it palatable in a drink. 
And actually, it's okay in this podcast if you want to. What are the two or three that you rotate through for people so they can at least get an idea of when they're looking up? Oh, yeah. What are you supposed to look at on a label of a free-form amino acid? Yeah, the one that I think is the best that I, I try to use the first is from Pure Encapsulations, and it's called Amino Replete. Amino Replete. I like that one, and it's a good blend. It's a good combination. So that's my go-to one. And if for some reason that kind of falls apart due to the flavor problem, then Designs for Health has Amino Acid Supreme. Now, the Amino Acid Supreme is a little more oriented towards body workers, bodybuilders, people that are trying to put on muscle. So it's a little less on the overall health side and a little more emphasis on muscle growth if you look at the actual aminos in there. And if those are both on back order or you just can't stand the taste of either of those, there's a relatively obscure company that's been around forever called Metabolic Maintenance. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Right? It's like, <laughs> I remember them. I remember them. In fact, I think I have, what do I have in my cupboard from them? I believe they're based up here where I am in, in the Pacific Northwest. They're in Bend, Oregon. As a matter of fact, yeah. Oh, they, they're down in Bend. Oh, I thought they yeah. were up in Washington. Okay. Yeah. They have custom amino blend that I use, which is good too. That they're the original company. They were doing this like back in the 70s and 80s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They metabolic maintenance, just as a complete side note, they were my favorite protein powder for a decade. And then they it was just harder to get product. And they're this little obscure company. So it was just harder to find them and harder to get their product. But their protein powder was my personal favorite. Not for taste, all the things. It just hit all my personal boxes. So yeah, well, a little bit of functional medicine history, right? So in the Late 70s, early 80s, Andy Brawley and Richard Lord started a lab called Metametrics. And the first test that they did, and the only test they did for a long time, was amino acids. And Andy was selling amino acids. Metametrics later got bought by Genova. And Andy was selling amino acids. And they're like, oh, we can't sell amino acids and run a lab. So he called his buddy in Bend, Oregon, and said, hey, would you start to make amino acid powders for us? And so that's how metabolic maintenance started. They would the lab company would run the amino acid profile and then they'd send the profile over to metabolic maintenance and they would sell you the custom aminos. I did not know that. Little bit of history, yeah. Little bit of history. And it's still, well, and now you, well, I mean, I do the same basic thing. A lot of doctors do the same basic thing, but just with different companies. So we run the lab test, see what amino acids are low. Then I'll usually get one of these powders that I just mentioned and then add to it the things that the person's missing. So if they're missing tyrosine, we add a few grams. If they're missing lysine, we add a few grams. So they end up making their own custom amino blend at home. Because as we said earlier in the very beginning, if you're missing even one of these 20, then you can't make proteins. The whole thing gets undermined. So you, it's the more specific you are with the aminos you're taking in terms of dosing and which ones, the better the results are. All that being said, you could skip the testing if you just don't want to do it or can't afford it and just buy a generic formula and try it and see if it works. It's not going to be as guaranteed, but certainly that would be a start for people that don't have access to a functional medicine doctor. And if you're, let's say you're just doing a scoop a day and you had mentioned earlier on an empty stomach, don't take it with food so that it can absorb. Just doing the normal typical scoop a day, is that, do you have any risk of overdose? Well, I have a scoop lecture. (laughs) All right. Here we go. This is for doctors. If you're not a doctor, you probably shouldn't listen to this. But So I have a gripe because every company has a scoop and a scooper. Yeah. And on their label, it'll say one scoop. Sometimes they'll say two scoops. Sometimes the label will say a teaspoon, but the scooper is not a teaspoon. So my general advice is whatever amino acid powder you buy, get the scooper out first and throw it away. Because some companies, the scooper is 12 grams. Some companies, the scooper is three grams. And that's going to screw you up. 
royally if you do it by the scoop. You could end up overdosing by a factor of four. So throw out the scooper because then you don't have to worry about what the label says and get something called a teaspoon out. Everybody has a teaspoon, right? And just do a teaspoon twice a day. That's about five grams. Not a flat teaspoon, kind of like a full teaspoon, you know, like you would do of sugar. Like when you do a teaspoon of sugar, you don't take a knife and flatten it, right? It's like a teaspoonful. But get a teaspoon out of your measuring cup thing wherever you store your baking goods and do a teaspoon in the morning, teaspoon at night, and forget the scooper thing. And then you'll always be getting about five grams. That's the best way to do it. I don't know that I've heard your scoop lecture before. <laughs> it just pisses me off because I'm not kidding. Some of these scoopers are 12 grams. Oh, they're huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that would do to somebody if you, t- oh, yeah, take two scoops of that. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, not good. Okay. No, no, definitely not. Not good. Okay. And, but definitely on an empty stomach. Yes. Amino acids for different reasons and different ways can be taken different ways, but this specific purpose, it really only works on an empty stomach. That's not true for every amino acid in every situation, but for what we're talking about, if you take it with a meal, it's not going to stimulate mTOR. It's not going to be bad for you, but it's not going to stimulate mTOR. Because what's happening is you're getting this massive dose of amino acids all at one time. You could eat a whole cow or a whole carton of tofu. That could never happen. You could never get that concentrated a form of amino acids hitting your bloodstream all at one time. That's what you want. And your body goes, wow, (laughs) this is cool. What are we going to do, guys? There's all these amino acids, like 100 times more than we've ever seen. Why don't we build stuff? And then mTOR just kicks in and goes, yeah, go team. And you start building proteins, muscle, insulin, hemoglobin, whatever you need, you start to build. Oh, what's another protein that's kind of relevant during the middle of a pandemic? Antibodies. Yes. They're all proteins. So good for your immune system as another plus. That is huge. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny. I think when people think proteins, obviously they're one thinking the food they I eat proteins. But then we forget in our body how much are made out of proteins to make us tick every single day. Yeah. And it really, I mean, like in the scheme of the world, your antibodies and your immune system defense is probably more important than like your biceps. So we kind of, I think you're right that people sort of pigeonhole proteins as to commonly accepted ones, but you don't really think about the super important ones. Mm-hmm. And I also want people to be clear when Dr. Kalish talks about insulin or thyroid, it doesn't mean taking free form amino acids is suddenly going to push you into too much thyroid hormone. You're not suddenly going to become hyperthyroid. Your body is a very controlled system. It's not a free for all. Sometimes it feels like a free for all. Some people may argue their body is a free for all, <laughs> but in the creation of hormone, insulin, thyroid hormone, it is not generally a wild free for all. Yeah, absolutely not. So you got to think of it like your thyroid's trying to make a certain amount of hormones. And if it has the 20 amino acids, it can do that. But if it has more than that, your body just uses the amino acids as a fuel source. It'd be like eating a little bit of extra almond butter or something. You're going to use it as a fuel supply if you don't use it to make something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to trigger some harmful event to occur. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to wrap up on tryptophan because I feel like one, I've heard you talk about tryptophan a lot. And two, a lot of people think tryptophan and turkey and Thanksgiving, and that's about as good as it gets (laughs) when it comes to tryptophan. So I know there are a lot of the, all the amino acids are very important and do a lot of things, but just given the popularity of tryptophan, I wanted to touch on that before we wrap this up. Yeah. So this is my trick question for all the new doctors in the training program. And no one ever gets this right, but it's a trick, which is that what's the main role of tryptophan? And then 
almost everybody will go right to serotonin because everybody knows that you make serotonin from tryptophan. And serotonin seems pretty important. But really, its main role, and you look at this up in any medical textbook, any biochemistry textbook, the first sentence will be, tryptophan is one of the 20 essential amino acids required for the synthesis of all proteins. I mean, which proteins? Every protein. And the thing about tryptophan is that out of the 20, it's the one that exists in the smallest amount. So like out of a protein that you're making, it's like a couple percent of that is tryptophan. So if even a tiny bit is missing of the smallest one that you have in the first place, no protein manufacturing, right? You're not going to make these things that we're talking about, which it would include an antibody, for example. And so the levels of tryptophan fluctuating can be particularly devastating because it's the one that's there in the least amount to begin with. And then in some kind of cruel joke, this is a little technical, but this kynurinate pathway or kynurinin, right? So basically it means that when your body's inflamed, you're making a lot of cytokines, like this cytokine storm we heard a lot about with COVID, you make cytokines from tryptophan. So the more inflamed you are, if your gut is inflamed or you have a viral infection and you're inflamed, the more your tryptophan levels drop, which is not good. And so once tryptophan drops, then you can't make any of these proteins. And the most obvious sort of side effect or effect of low tryptophan is that you're not going to sleep well and you get a little depressed because you don't have enough melatonin because you make melatonin from tryptophan, so you don't sleep as well as you should. And then you make serotonin from tryptophan, so you can have mood problems, which would be anxiety or depression or repetitive thoughts or just not feeling 100% mentally, emotionally and mentally. So, And that can happen post-viral. You can have because of the cytokine storm thing. So in other words, you could get a viral infection, the viral infection could be gone, but you could be left with a residual low level of tryptophan. It's a really common one to see. It's probably one of the most common amino acids that when we test, we see as low. So, And then you can just buy it, want to take it during the day because it makes you drowsy. And if you want to be careful, you can take it with the other aminos. So you get one of these powders that has all the aminos in it, including tryptophan. And that's one thing when you're analyzing your amino acid powder that you may buy after you listen to this podcast, make sure it has tryptophan in it. Because if it doesn't, then it's not going to work that well. Are there, I guess there would be. Some people just exclude certain amino acids, huh? Oh, absolutely. In fact, one of the biggest companies in our industry, whose name I won't mention because they get mad, they made their amino acid powder without tryptophan for decades. And it became a joke. I mean, this is why it's kind of funny. So every year I would go to the scientific committee meeting and every year I would say, what about tryptophan? And they finally added it. But yeah, a lot of companies don't because, I don't know, like 30 or 40 years ago, there was a tryptophan scare where there was a bad batch of tryptophan that was made and shipped to the United States. Oh, right. And like 20 or 30 Americans died. Strangely enough, I went to college with a guy whose mother died from tryptophan, if you can believe that. Yeah, his name is Eric. Anyways, it's sort of, so it, it was a tragic experience for 20 or 30 American families. And it was due to a filter that hadn't been changed in this factory in Japan. They just shipped bad quality product. It had nothing to do with tryptophan. But so in the US, they took tryptophan off the market right then. And it was the year that Prozac was starting to be sold. Fascinating coincidence. So huh. tryptophan went away for a really long time. It's back on the market now. It's always been safe, except for that one batch. But it got a bad name. So most of the supplement company, well, they couldn't sell it. They were not legally able to sell it for a long time. And most people just became afraid of it and afraid of the FDA of selling it. So it's missing in a lot of these powders. But now the ones that you mentioned have tryptophan in it. And it's important to know that tryptophan is the smallest percent in your body. So if it dips even a little bit, it's actually going to be pretty significant. 
And if you're inflamed anyway, in any way, or you had COVID, then it's very likely that tryptophan levels are low because of the cytokine thing. Oh, that goes back to what you asked about earlier. Like, how could you get low in amino acid? I should use that as an example because if you have a cytokine overproduction because you have a cold or a flu or because your gut is inflamed, you're going to end up with high kynurenin and low tryptophan as a result of that. That's the whole gut-brain connection or post-viral brain connection. That's really important. I was talking to a doctor who said, we were talking about women's hormones, of course, and she said, you know, when your serotonin is low, it's a survival thing, you are more apt to pick the negative out in your environment. So if you are scanning the horizon out in the wilderness, if you're going to immediately latch onto the negative, something that looks wrong is wrong, feels wrong, because it's survival. But she said, nowadays, what happens our focus was on women and hormones. She said when our serotonin is low and we focus on the negative, now we nitpick and we notice that our partner didn't load the dishwasher or they loaded the dishwasher wrong or this is wrong or that's wrong. Everything's wrong. And when she said this, I was like, awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need some amino acids. (laughs) Better living through science. Just take your amino acids and move on. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. And I did too. And then I heard you on the Rupa bootcamp platform talking about tryptophan. And I was like, okay, universe, I got it. I need to add in some more amino acids since you were talking about this and mood and inflammation and infection at the same time. And I thought, yep, I got it. I hear you loud and clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all have it to a certain degree. I mean, really. Amino acids help a lot of people. Almost everybody is helped by them. So it's a pretty universal problem, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening today, now that they realize that when we talk about proteins, it's more than just building your biceps. It's all the proteins in your body. And people probably didn't even realize that some of the hormones, insulin, cytokines, antibodies are all proteins. And it's that important. Yeah, exactly. Not just building a bicep. Even though building a bicep is important. We talked about skeletal muscle making sure you have plenty of muscle on your body. But these other things are very important as well. Yeah, you can do it all at one time. Yeah, which makes it nice. You're just going to throw your scooper out and do just a normal teaspoon twice a day on an empty stomach. (laughs) Yes, perfect. Amazing. Well, Dr. Kalish, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast, telling us all about amino acids today. I really appreciate it. Let people know where they can find you, especially if they are a practitioner and looking to learn more. Yeah, if you guys want to learn about lab interpretation, that's my thing. So kalishinstitute.com, K-A-L-I-S-H, institute.com. Just look at the website and you can contact us and get you more information. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being on. As always, I appreciate it and learn so much from you. Appreciate it too. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.